here. <laughs> One faithful member was here early, ready to go. When I came in, the room was dark, and the sound booth was locked up, and <clears throat> we got things going okay, and, and unfortunately, unable to get the PowerPoint to set up. <clears throat> Apparently, I didn't get transferred correctly to the PowerPoint, but that's okay. We'll just go ahead and and uh, and do it by <clears throat> by looking at the text itself rather than having it projected on on the screen. <clears throat> Let's see. Okay, yes, it's past time. We better get going here. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we're grateful for, the, for this new day that you have given us, and for the past night and the rest that is provided. And we ask your presence to be with us as we assemble here together to give attention to a portion of your word, and we're thankful that uh, you have preserved your message for us in your word, and we pray that you'll be with us and be with the other classes as we study your word and uh, help us to learn the things that will be helpful for us as we seek to do your will from day to day. <clears throat> be with uh, those who are in special need at this time, those who are uh, sick or afflicted in any way, we pray to give them peace, and may they look to you for peace and comfort, and uh, help us to serve them in any way that we can. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at the very first chapter of um, Isaiah this morning. Finally, in our third session, we get to the first chapter. <clears throat> The first few sessions, of course, were intra, more or less introductory to the book of, uh, of Isaiah. And in fact, we're going to continue on in kind of an introductory idea because this first chapter of Isaiah is, in a sense, an introduction to the entire book. The word introduction to the entire book uh, is uh, one of the most common terms that are used to refer to this first chapter. I've also uh, come across the name prologue uh, to the entire book as a, a description of this first chapter of Isaiah. Uh, we can look at it perhaps as a, a preview of the contents of the book or even as a, a content. You know, when you pick up a new book, one of the first things I do when I pick up a new book is look at the table of contents to see what the kind of subjects are discussed in the book. Well, in a sense, you might consider this first chapter of Isaiah as a table of contents to the entire book. And we'll be uh, looking at some of the things that are mentioned in this, in, in this first chapter of Isaiah that are, uh, 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 that are, you, uh, that are referred to again and again throughout the, the entire book, book of I, Isaiah. <clears throat> There's a, a man by the name Edward J. Young. I think I've mentioned him before. Uh, he, uh, he is an Old Testament scholar. He taught for a number of years at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, at that seminary, he uh, taught courses on the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, this was his specialty, Old Testament studies. He's written quite a bit on uh, various Old Testament studies, uh, he wrote a, a commentary in the, uh, in the uh, series of the New International Commentary on the Old Testament. And in addition to that uh, commentary on the book of Isaiah, he also wrote a, a book that's called The Studies of Isaiah. 
and uh, also a, a book on the general prophets called My Servant the Prophets. He also wrote an introduction to the Old Testament. In fact, course that I took uh, uh, in the Old Testament, we used his book, Introduction to the Old Testament, as a textbook in that course. So he's a well-noted and well-respected Old Testament scholar. And he, um, <clears throat> he wrote this commentary on Isaiah in the New International uh, Commentary Series. <clears throat> um, he said that the first chapter is an introduction to the entire book, as we, we mentioned, we might consider this first chapter of Isaiah, containing the basic themes of Isaiah's ministry. And he lists four basic themes that we can see in this first chapter of Isaiah that uh, are developed uh, throughout the entire book of Isaiah. He, these are the four themes that he mentions. Number one, the sinfulness of Judah and Jerusalem. Number two, the tender appeals of the Lord. Number three, the certainty of the coming judgment upon his people. And number four, the blessedness of salvation to come. And that pretty well summarizes the, uh, the, mess- the entire message of, the, of Isaiah. And uh, all, of, all of those uh, themes are mentioned right here in this very first chapter. We'll see how that, that uh, is presented to us in this, in this first chapter. Let, uh, look at the, um, at the first few verses uh, of this first chapter of Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Notice those first few words. Hear, O Israel, listen, O earth. This is somewhat presented in in a kind of a a form of a a trial, that the um, nation of Israel is on trial and God is bringing judgment against the nation nation of Israel. In fact, if you turn over to chapter three and uh, verse, uh, <clears throat> let's see, chapter three and, and verse, uh, <clears throat> where is it uh, here? I think it's uh, well. I, I don't see it just right off. But anyway, he. He refers to, uh, to what he's doing. He's bringing God. Oh, look, look, yeah, chapter 3 and verse 13 there. It specifically says the Lord takes his place in court. In court. He raises a judge. He rises to judge the people. Well, that is uh, somewhat of what he's doing here in the very first chapter. He, it got, kind of presents a court scene with the people of Israel, you see in the very first verse that this is, a, is a, the vision that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And so here God is bringing a judgment against the people of Israel, and it's a somewhat presented in the form of a court scene with, with God as, uh, as bringing charges against his people. Um, so we can see the sinfulness of Judah and Jerusalem in these first few verses, verses 2 through 6. And the word here, here at the very beginning, you know, calling the, uh, the court to order, is somewhat like the old English town crier crying out, Hear ye, hear ye! 
And then he makes make the announcement. So here, hear, O heavens, listen, O earth. <clears throat> uh, calling everyone uh, to order in, in this court, court scene. Um, the jury of heaven and earth. When these two terms are used together, heaven and earth, does that sound like anything to you? Does that remind you of anything, heaven and earth? When you see those two terms together, heaven and earth. Genesis 1. Genesis 1, exactly. Yeah, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. So in a sense, you might, might see this as a call to all creation to hear the charges against the, the people of, of Israel. But there's another connection that uh, some have called, called uh, that there might be a connection here. And that is a, um, a reference to a previous book in, uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 32 in Deuteronomy begins almost exactly like this first, uh, these, these first verses of Isaiah. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and you see the first few words are, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. And some have suggested that what Isaiah is doing here is calling specific attention to what Moses had written back here in Deuteronomy chapter 32. In fact, as I read, reread down, uh, through here in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, uh, after looking at Isaiah chapter 1, I was amazed at how many resemblances there are between these two chapters. And I, I made a list and I had them, had them on the PowerPoint. We had a little bit of a problem with the PowerPoint, uh, getting go. But, uh, <clears throat> if you, if you read through chapter 32, and in light of Isaiah chapter 1, you'll be surprised how closely the same ideas and subjects appear. For example, in Deuteronomy 32, you have reference to the Father who the God. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, you have reference to the Father who of God. In Deuteronomy 32, they referred to as a warped and crooked generation. And in Isaiah 1, people are referred to as a sinful nation, loaded with guilt. In chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, they referred to as a foolish and unwise people. And Isaiah 1, Israel does not know, my people do not understand. In Deuteronomy 32, they have abandoned God. In Isaiah chapter 1, they have forsaken the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, they're like Sodom and Gomorrah. And Isaiah right here in this first chapter refers to uh, people as like Sodom and Gomorrah in verses 9 and 10. Um, God will heap calamities upon them. And we read in Deuteronomy 32, sword will make them childless. And here in Isaiah chapter 1, the country is desolate and they will be devoured by the sword. So there are a number of, several of the commentaries notice this correspondence between Deuteronomy and chapter 32 and have suggested that the Isaiah is deliberately reflecting upon what Moses wrote about the people of Israel back back then in the days when Moses wrote Deuteronomy and what Isaiah is 
is uh, referring to here. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> this is what the Edward Young that I just referred to a minute ago said in his commentary is that Isaiah began his work with deliberate reflection upon the discourse of Moses and that we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Um, here, here we say, see that the Lord has spoken the, the second line there in verse 2, for the Lord has spoken. Now that is in past tense as it is represented here, but the idea is that he has spoken and he continues to speak in the present as well. Um, although God had already spoken to the prophet by means of vision, he also is speaking now through Isaiah as the prophet summons heaven and earth to witness. Um, to listen to Isaiah in his capacity of prophet is to listen to God. For the words he utters have been received supernaturally and are of supernatural origin. This is a consider for just a moment or two this reference to his people as his children. Now this reflects the idea of the fatherhood of God. You know, sometimes people think that the idea of the fatherhood of God is a New Testament concept that does not appear in the Old Testament. But there's several references in the Old Testament that talk about God being the father of his people. And this is one of them where he says, I reared children and brought them up as, as a father rears and brings up their children. By the way, you think there's any difference between these two words to rear and to bring up? I wondered about that. I wonder if there might be a difference. When you bring up children, rear children, is there any difference between rearing them and bringing them up? You think there might be a difference there between those two things, uh, different differences? Yeah, they're, they're pretty close, yes. Yes, uh -huh. I th they are real close in meaning. Yes, yes, Chuck. Father, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, both of the both these words mean essentially the same thing, uh, uh, but they not necessarily are exact synonyms of each other. The second possibly is, is maybe a little bit stronger. The idea of rearing, you know. Uh, in fact. Um, Someone, one of the commenters suggested that the, the first term, uh, bring up, might have reference to um, the uh, calling of Abraham and uh, rearing them in the sense of making, uh, he said he promised he'd make of them a great nation in Genesis chapter 12. And the second points to the high position toward which the the tender and loving father gradually leads his child up. So we, if there is a difference in, in, in these two words, they are both applied to God. God said, I, I reared and I brought up this nation, this people, just like a father rears and brings up his children. But notice the contrast. But they... I, this is what I am, but they have rebelled against me. And this is one of the 
main themes that we find in the book of Isaiah, the rebellion of the people against, uh, against God, their creator, their father, as is mentioned here. <clears throat> they rebelled against God. Not a specific act or a group of acts uh, of rebelling against God, but a, a general state of the mind of the people in their rebellion against God. The inward departure manifested itself in outward acts of rebellion. Uh, so we'll see uh, in the book of Isaiah references to their apostasy, their apostasy, their turning their backs on God, their, their running after idols, that is repeated throughout the book. But notice how in this very first chapter we have uh, 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 several references to their rebellion. So this seems to be a, 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 a major theme that appears in, in, not only in this first chapter, but also throughout the book, uh, the, the charge of there being a rebellious people. Notice in verse 5 here in this first chapter. Why do you persist in your rebellion? Um, Verse, uh, verse 20, also again the reference to the, their re- rebellion. Uh, verse 20 says, See how the faithful city has become a harlot since... Uh, no, that was 21, I'm sorry. But you resist and rebel, the first part of verse 20. You resist and rebel. And um, verse 28, again, it's, uh, it, it re- re- referenced their rebellion. Um, but rebels and sinners will both be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. The forsaking the Lord is, is in a sense, rebelling against God. Um, and then turn to the very end of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 24. The very last verse of the book of Isaiah, again, is, is, has a reference to, uh, to the rebellion. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome in all, uh, to all mankind. So here we have at the very beginning of Isaiah reference to their rebellion, and then the very end, the re, uh, what is going to happen to those who do rebel. So this, these, uh, this idea of rebellion, kind of uh, the use of the word rebel, Kind of serves as a <clears throat> as an inclusio uh, of the whole book. It begins and ends with the idea of rebellion. In fact, I have seen one study that suggests that what we have here is the beginning and end of a long chiasmus that runs throughout the entire book of Isaiah. I haven't traced through the entire book of Isaiah to see how this might work out, but I do know for sure that there are several passages, several short passages within the book itself that, um, that are presented in the form of a chiasmus. And we'll look at a few of those in the course of our study. In fact, right here in, in this very first chapter, we'll see an example or two of a, of a very uh, short, short form of the, of the chiasmus. But notice the contrast that um, Isaiah brings here in this first chapter between human beings and and unintelligent animals. In in 
Well, first of all, you see, see the charges that are brought against them in the verses 4 and 8. <clears throat> uh, verse 3, the ox knows his master, the donkey its owner, owner's manger. Israel does not know, my people do not understand. So this is making the contrast between human, human beings who are supposed to be able to understand and uh, to know uh, who created them uh, in contrast to the uh, the animals who are not supposed to be able to know who created them, but at least they know who their owner is and um, uh, where, the, where to go for their food, but Israel does not know where to turn to get their, their food. Um, neither the ox nor the donkey know, is known for its intelligence. Um, I understand that there's a story in uh, A Thousand and One Nights. You're acquainted with that uh, series of stories, uh, A Thousand and One Nights. Uh, There's one of those stories in there that's about the the ox and the donkey that kind of illustrates this idea of the the ox and the donkey being so so stupid. <clears throat> so, when uh, Isaiah here says, just simply says that uh, my people do not understand, my people do not know, some have wondered, well, is there something missing here? Uh, shouldn't there be something after the word know? It's that Israel does not know me. Israel does not know it. That is, that the... that. Uh, uh, about the ox and the and the donkey, and uh, that they, they do not know that they have rebelled against me. Does Israel? Uh, do my people do not understand what they have done? Uh, so several suggestions have been made that perhaps there's something missing in the uh, in the text here. That there should be some object after the word know and understand. They do not know it. They do not understand it. But simply, it just simply says that Israel does not know. Israel does not understand. You think there's some special force in that way that it's worded? <clears throat> you think about that for a minute. They don't know anything. Okay, that's one way of looking at it. Sure. They, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they just don't know know what you know, and under that you conclude almost everything that uh, that you might uh, <clears throat> you fill in the blanks of, of every everything that they don't know. Huh? Okay. Knowledge comes from God. When an individual or nation is without God, he has no knowledge, but is in darkness and in ignorance. Look at the seven char- now. Look at the seven charges that are brought, brought against the, the people here in the, in verse four. You see the reference to that they are a sinful nation, loaded with guilt, brood of evil doers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel, turned their backs on Him. How much more could be said about the charges that can be brought against the Israelites people? Uh, uh, this uh, 
Uh, first phrase here, uh, <clears throat> Ah, sinful nation. The wording as it appears in the original Hebrew text uh, is in the form of an alliteration. The words are Hoi Goi Hota. And you see the repetition of the Hoi Goi. I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning or not, but when the first verse begins here, Hear, O heavens, uh, uh, listen, O earth. Uh, Hear, O heavens. That too is an alliteration in the original language. It's Shemu Shemayim. Shemu Shemayim, the repetition of the SM sound there. That's an example of alliteration. This seems to be one of Isaiah's favorite um, uh, techniques of expressing his ideas, his poetic uh, technique that he uses quite often throughout the book. And here again, here in verse 4, the first uh, two words, first few words are in the form of an alliteration. Hoi goi hota. The hoi goi, you see the repetition of the alliteration of the words there. <clears throat> a, a people laden with uh, with guilt. Uh, and then it goes on to describe the nation of Israel as being a, a beaten, injured body. <clears throat> uh, verses 5 and 6. Why should you be bitten, beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured from... Uh, your whole heart afflicted, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or smoothed or, or soothed with oil. Uh, kind of get an insight here, the medical arts uh, in the days of Isaiah, how that an injured body should be uh, treated and uh, cared for, but... Uh, uh, the people of Israel in the, in this illustration of a, a injured and and wounded body is not taken care of and not to, uh, uh, looked after at all. Right. Beaten, keep beaten. Hasn't done any good. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. You're right. I think that's what Isaiah is trying to get across here. Sure. At the, and that's what he's going to get to. Yeah, you, you've been beaten, but and there's going to be a greater punish ahead waiting for you. Just wait for what's what's in store for you because of the way you have, have behaved. <clears throat> okay, let's see what else here we might bring out. Oh, uh, verses 10 and following. Uh, well, uh, here, here uh, first before that, verse, pick up at verse 7. Uh, a description of the, of the country as it is. Uh, your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. Laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty has left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. So here's the description. 
it is presented in the present tense as if what is being described here is a description of the country as it now exists in Isaiah's time. Your country is desolate. Your cities are, are burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. Do you think he's describing an actual invasion of Judah by some foreigners coming into the land? It would seem that he's describing the the current present condition of the nation of Israel as it is being invaded by a foreign uh, foreign power. <clears throat> this might be what we might call the uh, prophetic future in which a future scene is uh, described as if it had already taken place, as if it is now taking place. Um, <clears throat> so... <clears throat> At this particular time, at the beginning of Isaiah, perhaps the country itself is not actually in this position, but he's warning that this is what is going to happen to you if you, if you don't heed the, uh, the call of God to repent and turn back to God. <clears throat> and you have here, here in this first chapter the idea of the remnants of Israel in verse 9, unless the Lord had left us some survivors. Some survivors is the idea of the remnant that, uh, that would survive the invasion that's going to take place if you don't uh, turn and repent and amend your ways. Um, let's remove, move on down through uh, verses 10 and following where... <clears throat> Where he addresses the rulers of the people, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's included in the idea, you rulers of Sodom, listen to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah, perhaps having reference to the, the leaders, uh, the rulers of Israel, the, the, uh, of Judah and Jerusalem, and uh, reference to how they, want, how they tried to please God by their religious activities, their rituals, in in, uh, in trying to show that they are a religious people, but God does not accept their religion because of the way they are living. This description of them, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to meet with me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your, your new moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll make my eye, I'll take my, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. This is the reason that is being given for why God is not accepting their, their religious, uh, Ceremonies because your hands are full of blood. And then after that, he goes on and, and gives it an appeal to repentance. But these verses that describe their religious activities <clears throat> that uh, they thought would be able to please God, but God does not uh, accept them. Why? Why does not God want... Didn't God command the people to offer sacrifices? 
Didn't he command the people to uh, bring uh, bring sacrifices uh, and offer them to, uh, as sacrifices? And your incense and your new moons, your Sabbaths, didn't God command the keeping of a Sabbath? Why does God not accept them from these people? Their, exactly, that's it. Their hearts are not in it. And they are not living in such a way that they show that they are obeying God. Um, the reference here to, back here in the very first, uh, verse 10 is, listen to the law of your God. The law of the God, the Torah, is not simply the law of Moses uh, given in connection with the rituals and the sacrifices and the burning of incense and so forth, but includes the whole law of God, includes not only the rituals, but also the moral living. The law of Moses, the Torah, includes the whole of the teachings of God in regard to how you are to behave as my children. Not only in these rituals of sacrifice and and incense and, and burning animals and so forth, but also the way you are to live and treat one another. There's a lot in the Torah, in the law of God, that talks about how you are to treat one another from day to day. Well, they separated they separated the one from the other. And they felt that as long as they sacrificed to God and obeyed his ritual sacrifices, then it doesn't matter how we live from day to day. <clears throat> and isn't that pretty much an attitude that some people have today that as long as they go to church every Sunday, what does it matter what, how I behave from day to day during during the week? After all, I'm a church-going person, so... Why? Uh, what does that have to do with the way I treat my my people during during the week? So Isaiah is trying to get the people to see that yes, there is a close connection between uh, the way you behave from day to day and also the way that you worship. But notice, notice the uh, the emphasis here on the second person plural pronoun in these verses. That is your sacrifices. Your uh, burn offering so far. Verse 11, multitude of your sacrifices. Um, verse uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 13, your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals, and your appointed feasts my soul hates. It's what they are doing. It's what they have, uh, have uh, offered it's your it's not what i have commanded it's what you have made of these of these uh, activities and so <clears throat> uh so it's not that god does not want sacrifices that he does not want uh, incense uh he does he does not want these new moon festivals and so but it's the way that you have been doing them it's your new moons and your appointed feasts that I, that i uh, don't accept, and because the way that the way that you are are living. <clears throat> yes. Sure. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, how they mm-hmm. 
yeah. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that well, that's what the whole intent of the law was. That's why he said the very, uh, up here, now listen to the law of your God. You just listened to a part of the law of your God and neglected the other part of the law uh, of your God. Okay, so, so all of these, he says here, that they have become a burden to me because, and I'm weary, weary of them because of the way that you're living from day to day. So there is a close connection between uh, what you do on Sunday and how you behave the rest of the week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good, yes, exactly what Isaiah is trying to get the people to see. Here's a quotation from one of the commentaries that uh, tries to bring out the idea that correct doctrine cannot replace justice. He says, men, uh, and when he is writing, uh, that was before the day of a political correctness, when he says men, he means people. If that term men offends you, we'll just substitute the word people. Men have always found it easier, more pleasing to their vanity to comply with ceremonial rites and the external aspects of their religion than to conform to God's purpose. Justice and compassion can never be replaced by religious orthodoxy. Orthodoxy in the sense of right doctrine, correct doctrine, and uh, uh, correct religious observances. But I would quickly add to that um, statement that likewise, religious orthodoxy, that is cor- correct ritual, can never be replaced by justice and compassion. There are some who believe that as long as you worship <clears throat> correctly and ha- believe the right things, then uh, that is all that it takes to please God. But both Correct worship and compassionate living are necessary. Does, does that sound like anything that Jesus would have said? Remember thing, thing that Jesus said about uh, uh, the observance of the religious requirements and the way that you live? Yes. 
The verse that I had in mind, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, Chuck, go ahead. Yeah, the passage that came to my mind in connection with this was Matthew twenty three twenty three, one that I'm sure you're familiar with. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisee, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, miss dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So you see the connection between the two. Do the one and do the other. Yeah, do them both. They're both connections. They cannot be separated. You have to do both. So, okay. Real quickly, let, let's look at the very end of this first chapter. We're, uh, at verse uh, 31, where it says, The mighty men will become tender of his work. Both will burn together with no one to quench their fire. And again, the very last chapter of Isaiah, you have again a reference to uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, chapter 66, <clears throat> and um, that, that last verse of chapter 66 is 24, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Verse 24. <clears throat> Those rebellions, uh, their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched. Here again, you see the two words, quenched, mentioned here in the, in the end of chapter 1, and quench. Quench that will the fire, uh, nor will their fire be quenched. These two were the word quenched used two times here at the beginning and begin and again at the end. Again, could this be an indication of a of an extended chiasmus throughout the entire book of Isaiah with these two words forming the beginning and end of this chiasmus? Well, we'll have to close on, on that note and uh, we'll uh, pick up uh, uh, some more in our studies in Isaiah, as I indicated, this is not a study of Isaiah, but it's a study, studies within Isaiah, a selected topics uh, that relate to the book of Isaiah. So we'll need to break up for now and get ready for our worship service. Thank you and hope to see you again next Sunday morning.